Time Magazine. It is Barbie's world, and we are just living in it. There's plenty to consider about Barbie, says Time Magazine, but let's start with her feet. Perfectly arched, but not quite demi-point. The ideal position to fit into any pump. They're instantly recognizable to anyone who has ever played with the iconic doll. Of course I've played with Barbies. Ability was younger, I had an older sister. Why, right? Why questions? Above my abilities, above my ability to understand, above my pay grade, above what I am being compensated, there's things that I can't answer. I'll respond with, that's above my pay grade. It can be serious, right, above my pay grade. It can also be disarming, seeking some sort of middle ground. Say you get in a tight situation, someone's really pressing you, and you're like, you know, I, I don't know. That's just above my pay grade. It's also a qualifier to an opinion one's about to express. Maybe you're not an expert, but you play an expert on TV, and so you'd say something along like, well, it's above my pay grade, but here's what I think. It can be a lack of confidence, a uh, sense of, I don't think I can do this, so one would say it's above my pay grade. As a side note, this is a mindset that less females should possess, and maybe more males should possess. And it's also a discussion about being at the top of the food chain, right? Expressing an intractable problem. You're like, I, I, that is above my, I don't understand what is going on. American Lion is a text by John Meacham, looks at the life of Andrew Jackson, which is this interesting character, right? President, uh, military dude. Thursday, January 18th, 1835, there was this dinner in Washington, D.C., and 22 days after that, he was walking down the street, right, okay, out of the house chamber, and he was encountered by a Richard Lawrence. Richard Lawrence didn't like the president, pulled a firearm out, and fired it off. The cap explodes, but the powder fails to ignite. At this, Jackson attacks him, like runs right after him with his nightstick. The guy comes out with another, but that one fails to explode as well. And you're like, how in the world did that happen? The odds of two guns failing to fire during the attack was later determined at 125,000 to one. It's above my pay grade. Our text, page 974, verse 21, tell me, Paul writes, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Another way of putting it, <laughs> have you really read the law? Because <laughs> I don't think it says what you think it says. Do you really understand what we're talking about? Because if you did, I don't think you would want the law. Which invites this question, right? What do you want? Have you ever had someone say, fine, just then do what you want to do? If someone ever says to you, fine, just do what you want to do, at that moment, be very afraid. <laughs> the point at what someone is absolutely resigned to your behavior, to do whatever you want to do, that should send off warning lights in your brain. What do you want? What do we want? Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure that's all you want? Some people would be like, oh, wow, if I had so much, whatever the so much is. Really, that's all you want? You just want more money? That's all. That's it? that if you die with the most toys, that's all you want? That, that's all you want? You don't want life to be richer than that? 
You don't want life to be more significant than that? All you, all you want, all you want is more. That, really? What a vacuous existence. Don't you want more than that? Don't you want less of something that would be more of something else? Are you sure you want what you really want? Is what Paul is asking. Verse 22, for it is written, and this is a story in the Bible that for me, I get where Paul's going, but why the story exists is really above my pay grade. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Quoting Isaiah 54, verse 1. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. It's a story that, for me, is above my pay grade. It challenges me because the story is hard, Okay? At its most elemental, we're going back to Genesis, God has promised Abraham a child. He and his wife cannot conceive. Sarah offers her servant, Hagar, as a stand-in. Abraham says, okay. (laughs) Sounds good to me. And Ishmael is conceived and born. Now, this is really intriguing, right? Because Hagar is described as a slave to possess someone else. That ought to cause anyone pause at any situation in life. Ishmael is conceived and born. Ishmael is born according to the flesh, according to the desires of humans, okay? Because God didn't tell Abraham to take Hagar and rape her. That's what happened. That wasn't God's command. That was flesh desire. Never forget the mess that is made of when human desire overrules listening to God. Human desire. I got to take over. I mean, how else is this going to happen if it doesn't happen with me taking over? Sarah takes over. Abraham says, okay, I'm in. Ishmael was born. Then Sarah and Abraham conceive, and Isaac is born, and now we have a firstborn who should get the goodies, and a secondborn who shouldn't get the goodies. But Sarah's like, uh, hard stop. Um, no, that's not what's going to happen. And this story is searing in its realities. Both in the temporal sense, Hagar and Ishmael are left to die. 
In the historical sense, Ishmael doesn't die and becomes the forebearer of a group of folks who will be known as Ishmaelites, who will later identify as Muslim. And Isaac becomes the forebearer of a group of folks who will be known as Israelites, ultimately producing the Messiah, whom we know as Jesus. It's a story that shows people at their most desperate, taking control, not trusting God. It's also a story about how God sees an abandoned baby and the child's mother and hears a mother's cry and saves a child and a mother. It's a story about how God will still do the thing that God wants to do, even in the face of humans' best efforts to take over. You can read it all about it in Genesis 15 through 18 and verse chapter 21. And it's hard to understand, right? It's above my pay grade. Because some might want to know why God did what he did in those chapters. And for me, it's kind of a case, even though it's above my pay grade, it's a case of humans doing what humans do. They want to take over. They see something, they take it. And God, in the business of redemption, doing what God does. He redeems. He saves. He preserves life. But I get there are many questions. And it's hard to understand. Equally so is how Paul uses this historical reality to describe the starkness between wanting to live in relationship to the law and wanting to live in relationship to Jesus. For Paul, it's not the literal meaning that's important. It's figurative, allegorical. It's the figurative meaning that is critical, so let's figure it out. It's possible also not known, that Paul's opponents use this exact same story in a literal sense. And so now Paul takes their best evidence for their position head on. Two things. I need to blow my nose. Then my waste paper basket didn't get back to its spot. I'm usually not a person of this much like just like freaks me out just a little bit. Oh, by the way, if you want to come to early meeting this week, we'll probably be outside again. The allegory, verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one for slavery, one for promise. Paul employs the well-worn story of Ishmael and Isaac, takes a step back to their mothers, and makes this comparison, or rather allegorizes Ishmael and Isaac, Hagar and Sarah, Sinai and the promise. An for languages is a story, a poem, a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral meaning. The difference between the promise and Sinai is what Paul is talking about. At Sinai, the Israelites get the law, the Ten Commandments. You've seen movies about this. The promise, though, is greater. It's better, which anyone who's ever watched Les Mis knows. Sinai is this subset, the, the gap filler until the promise can be filled. We've talked about this over the past few weeks. And the difference between these two is the difference between slavery and freedom. The difference between something that is temporary, Ishmael, Hagar, the Sinai covenant, and something that is eternal, Isaac and Sarah and the promise. 
Paul's combating the reality in his day that, that they think everything is linked to blood type, when in reality, everything is linked to promise. Flesh and blood type lead to Sinai, which leads to slavery, present-day Jerusalem. Promise, greater than the law, leads to freedom in Jerusalem above. Paul is challenging a group of people that think their physical characteristics are what will distinguish them. Paul is like, no, 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 no. It's the promise. The spiritual characteristics. And to the extent that you're biologically descendant from Abraham and Isaac, it really doesn't matter. But spiritually descendant from the promise fulfilled in the life of Abraham and Isaac, Jesus, that does matter. That does matter. Paul's trying to make the argument they are more than children of Hagar. They are children of Sarah, but not because of blood, because of promise. You have to think about how this would have landed. Ishmael and the Ishmaelites and all people of Arabia really weren't loved by the Jews. Kind of continues to this very day. It's not a new thing. Paul is, in essence, telling them, you are more like the people that you hate than you are like the people that you say you love. I mean, the argument if you think about it, would have been absolutely offensive in some respects. If you're telling a person that really, you're the enemy? Dang! That takes some throstles. Paul offers, it's not biology, it's spirituality, and that we are all able to live under the promise, not the law, because of Jesus Christ. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. In the first century, there was this view that, that one of the reasons this hasn't, we don't have um, physical historical evidence of it, but, but there was this view that, that Ishmael, the older brother to Isaac, kind of wasn't nice to Isaac, and maybe there was some, you know, tension in the home, shocking, though that might be, and so that, that Ishmael was kind of like, okay, you're not going to treat my mom right, so I'm going to treat your son not right and kind of beat up on him. And so there was kind of this view, okay? We, we don't know. There's no biblical evidence that that's true, but that's, that's what people think Paul's referring to. And then Paul uses that as an allegory to say, and how Ishmael treated the promise is also how 
you all are treating me, which again would have been doubly offensive, right? It, it would have been just a slap in the face. But what do the Scriptures say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. The Scriptures report that, okay? Those are Sarah's words, not God's words. Paul's quoting Sarah, not God here, as a point of fact. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And again, the story for me is really, really hard. It is above my pay grade. But where it ends is so easy and so elegant. I've said this before, I will maintain it probably for as long as I live. I'm not much good at causation. If you ask me why something happened, say something tragic or even something good, there's many times where I, 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 I don't know. But what I am absolutely 100% lock solid confident of is outcome and redemption. And that irrespect of causation, why something happened, there is 100% certainty that God in any situation can redeem a terrible situation. That God can take a great situation and, and use it for his glory. That God can take a horrible situation and, and out of the mess and out of the muck and out of the darkness bring light. Okay, That I am 100% certain of. And there is a responsibility that we have as humans to enter into the God of the universe when he wants to redeem things that exist in our world, without question. Causation, I'm not very good at. Redemption, I'm absolutely confident of. So Paul writes this, So brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So, Paul says, You who are in Christ... You who follow Jesus are heirs of the promise that God put in play all those years ago, a promise that would be fulfilled in the right way at the right time. Do you want to be a slave or do you want to be free? A slave at Hermitage, Alfred. Hermitage um, was Jackson's home camp. It's just a little bit north, um, north, um, northeast of downtown Nashville. You can go there today. It's really, really cool. I've not been there. If you do go to Nashville to visit the Hermitage, okay, also stop by Bolton's. It is the best hot chicken in the entire world which means it's the best hot chicken in Nashville, okay? The only mistake that I made is I ordered chicken strips, which is just like decision paralysis. I should have ordered, I should have ordered a leg and a thigh because the fat with the leg and the thigh would have counteracted the heat and, and literally don't go hotter than medium. I like hot food. I love hot food. Medium lit me up like a Christmas tree. I mean, it was like so intense you can't even imagine. At any rate, a slave at the Hermitage, okay, Alfred, once had a revealing exchange with Rolf Brinkerhoff, a tutor Andrew Jackson Jr. had hired for his children. 
Brinkerhoff was later a prison reformer and author of a seminal text on military logistics. Alfred, in Brinkerhoff's estimation, Alfred was a man of powerful physique and had the brains and executive powers of a major general. Brinkerhoff recalled he was thoroughly reliable and was fully and deservedly trusted in the management of the plantation affairs. Brinkerhoff ran into Alfred one evening on the grounds, but found him unusually reticent and gloomy. Looking at Brinkerhoff, Alfred asked, You white folks have easy times, don't you? Why so, Alfred, I asked. You have liberty to come and go as you will, he replied. I soon found that he was full of discontent with his lot, being a slave and I thought it would be wise to turn his attention to the brighter side. I showed him how freedom had its burdens as well as slavery, that God had constituted human life, that everyone in every station had a load to carry, and that he was the wisest and the happiest who contentedly did his duty and looked to the world beyond, where all inequalities would be made even. even. Alfred did not seem disposed to argue the question with me or combat my logic but he quietly looked up into my face and popped this question at me. How would you like to be a slave? What holds us? To what have we enslaved our lives? I, th I think Paul would argue, say no to slavery in all of its forms. Paul would say, you don't have to be a slave. You can be free. Peeking ahead to two weeks, verse 1, chapter 5, you can be free. You don't have to be held captive by your stuff or your past or your addictions or your sin. Oh, how our sin enslaves us. You, you, you can be free. You can be free. Please pray with me.